Then, Heavenly Father, open now your word to us. You who have revealed yourself most fully in that word. For though you have made yourself known, Lord, in various times and in various ways, you've made yourself known most clearly in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And open our eyes to see him now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to read the prologue, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. John's gospel, of course, is arranged differently than the other three gospel accounts. And each begins their story of Jesus Christ's coming differently. John's begins in this way. John chapter 1 at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Our text is the verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13 of John chapter 1. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, when we come to think about Christmas, we think of it in its historical context. We think about Joseph. We think about Mary. We think about Bethlehem the star, the wise men. We think about the shepherds. We think about all of these events and how they contribute to our understanding and appreciation of the incarnation. When the Apostle John writes about the incarnation, when he introduces to us the one who tabernacled among us, who became flesh and dwelt among us, he sets the context just a little bit broader. He goes all the way back 
to the beginning. In, in, really, he goes beyond even that. For when he writes in the beginning, familiar words for all of us, they're the opening words of the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, John goes beyond even that. He says, in the beginning, if you're, if you're going to understand the beginning, says John, you have to go beyond it. You have to go to when it was only the triune God, the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John sets the context for understanding Christmas morning in the broadest, in the most expansive way possible. He says you can't understand this coming of the Messiah. You can't understand Christmas unless you understand everything. Unless you understand the Word. The Word who was with God. The Word who was God. It's a fascinating way for John to describe Jesus using this word logos, this word word. He uses that word only here in this way. He, in the rest of his gospel, will use the word logos, but never in the same way that he means it here. Because here, John wants us to see something of the profound revelation of God in Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand that truth, that meaning, that light, that life only makes sense in the light of Jesus Christ. That's why these words, life and light, come throughout this opening prologue, these first 18 verses of John's Gospel in which he introduces to us the context in which we are to understand everything that follows, the seven miracles he records, the seven I am statements that he offers, the seven speeches of our Lord. John carefully crafts an image of Jesus Christ and he says to understand the gospel, you need to start here. And he takes that up in our text at verse 9 when he says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Here John begins to speak of the incarnation of Christ's coming into the world, but when he speaks of the incarnation, he says it is the true light which enlightens everyone. This is a very difficult sentence to interpret in many respects, not in terms of its words. Its words are easy enough to translate to interpret you take your greek dictionary you look up the words there they are the meaning is the meaning true here by the way has the idea of genuine not so much true versus false that is used of god and of other things of the word in other contexts here it is a different word it is a word that means genuine versus fake superficial, empty. This light, John says, this light that came on Christmas morning that we celebrate today, this light, says John, is a light that is reliable. It is original. It is dependable. It is the light that gives meaning to all other light. It is the light that surpasses all other light. You think for a moment of the days when there was no power, no light power like we have now where you could only light things with candles 
and now go into a home in the dead of night where there's only a few candles lit. The light was dim. The light was, was barely able to allow you to see a few feet around. But when the sun rises, then that light is, is overwhelmed by the brilliance of the sunshine so that the candle becomes pointless. It, it's no longer necessary. It doesn't contribute anything because the true light has shone. John says that's what happened on Christmas morning. The true light came into the world. The, the reliable, dependable, the light that gives true understanding. That, that's the, the concept, isn't it, of light here. Light is revelation. It's meaning. It's purpose. Light helps us understand the way things are. Light shows us what life is all about and gives us its meaning. Indeed, isn't that what all men are seeking? Isn't that what all men stumble after as we look about our world also on this day of Christmas? You think about how Christmas is celebrated differently by us and by our neighbors and our co-workers. And you think about how they're trying to find meaning. They're trying to find purpose. They're trying to find reason. They're hoping they can get it in a Christmas package that their family dynamic will be healed by the number of Christmas presents underneath the tree. You think about how they hope that this joy, this, this sense of peace that comes at Christmas time might last a little longer. They're chasing after blessing. They're looking for joy because they don't understand this world. They pursue this world with the false lenses of unbelief upon their eyes. They they see the world in the neo-Marxist way. You think about how neo-Marxism, the dominant political philosophy of our Canadian culture, how it tells you how the world is. That's what it does. It's a light that says, let me explain to you the structure of life. What you need to understand is that everyone is either an oppressor or a victim. That's the only categories that matter. Which one are you? Are you oppressed or are you the oppressor? Are you the abuser or are you the abused? Those are the only categories that matter. And when people adopt that lens, when they adopt those glasses, when they see life in those terms, suddenly the world changes. It becomes a hard and harsh place. And they become suffering, burdensome, oppressed people who no longer have joy or peace, who are raging against the system and against the man. And there is no peace in this world. The light that the world follows is a light that does not bring blessing but brings pain and sorrow and grief. But the true light, the light that explains the world, explains the world precisely because it is the light of the creator of the world. It is through Jesus that all of life has been given its existence, is sustained, is given its purpose and its priority. Jesus explains life and its meaning because he is its architect, its origin, its wisdom, as the scriptures teach. So that you cannot truly understand this life 
Its purpose is reason. You can't understand relationships, politics, economy. You can't understand history, science. You can't understand life unless you understand Jesus Christ. That used to be the most common truth this world knew. There was a time when theology, the study of God, the study of the things of the faith, was called the queen of the sciences. She ruled all others, for they all had to worship God. They all had to honor the Lord, and nothing they said or did could contravene His will or His word. And then man said, we no longer want to be burdened by the chains of God's word and will. They cast down their queen. They committed regicide. They refused to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. You think of Darwin. You think of Freud. You think of Nietzsche. You think of all of these thinkers who have shaped the modern world. They all began with, but no God. Absolutely no God. And darkness descends upon the earth and a darkness that is deeper than anything can penetrate because man has decided to reject the true light from heaven, the true light that gives light to everyone. You need to be impressed by those words in John's Gospel, the true light which gives light to everyone. John is saying, You cannot understand life. No one can understand life. No one can understand the structure of this world, its rhythms and its movements, its purpose and its priority unless they first live in the light of Jesus Christ. This light is the only light that can open the eyes of men to see. The only light that can make sense of the reality in which we live. Sometimes we fail to appreciate just how profound the answer, or rather how profound this statement of John's is. We tend to accept the lie of the world that says your religion is your private domain. You may believe it, enjoy it, that's great. Go to church on Christmas morning if you want. Fabulous. But don't think that it is a universal truth. Don't think that it is for all men. Don't think that it is meaningful for everyone. Indeed, that is wrong. That's oppressive. That's colonial. We need to decolonialize our Canadian culture with its Christian emphasis. Yet so much of the world in which we live and the things that we take for granted are genuinely only possible because Jesus Christ came into this world on Christmas morning. We don't always see the connection between the event of our Lord's incarnation and the reality of the world in which we live. But the truth is this world only exists, is only sustained, and is only given its direction because Jesus Christ is Lord. And even if we limit ourselves to the more basic truths of the gospel, we ought to see how John's words here are true. For the coming of the light of Jesus Christ exposes the darkness of this world, exposes the darkness of man's rebellion against God. 
If you want to understand why the world is the way the world is, if you want to understand the depths of man's wicked hearts, if you want to understand the rebelliousness of man against his Creator, if you want to understand why the world makes such foolish choices daily, you have to understand Jesus Christ, the the one who came to deliver us from our sin. You need to understand that the only hope that we have is through the perfect sacrifice of a true God and true man who is truly righteous. That is the only way out of this mess. Jesus Christ's coming as the Lamb of God in order to save His people from their sins tells us that all men are sinners and that the only hope of salvation is in the sacrifice of the Son of God Because God is a just and righteous God. Do you see how much light shines just from the incarnation? Wherever or whenever this light of the gospel confronts anyone, wherever it is turned on, you might say, all men are called to respond. And they are called to respond in faith or in unbelief. They are called to respond by either accepting this light or rejecting it. It's what happens sometimes when maybe we're waking up in the morning. Maybe it's time to go to school or go to work and the alarm went off, but we didn't crawl out of bed. And so mom or dad comes into our room and what do they do? They flick on the light. And that light sears our eyes. It's too bright. We can't stand it. And now we have a choice. Either we get up and we go about our business or we grab our pillow and pull it over our heads and cover our eyes. You want to understand the way our world is, there's the explanation for the way our world is. The light shines and you can't avoid the experience. You either embrace it or you reject it. You either live in the light or you seek the darkness. But a response to this light cannot be avoided. For it is the true light which gives light to everyone that has come into the world. And in this way, John subtly places before us something of the enormity of what happened on Christmas morning with such simple statements, such simple words, easily translatable, yet so profoundly rich that within them it contains a world-shaking and world-altering reality. John's saying, you cannot make sense of anything unless you make sense of Christmas. True light shines from the manger on Christmas morning. A light that makes sense of this world, that explains who we are and that shows us what life's all about. A light that demands a response. What then is the response? Well, John tells us. It's a, he says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. In verse 10, he tells us again about how Jesus Christ is the Creator of the heavens and the earth and He came to His own creation. But His creation rejected him it is the end of this sentence that has the real punch doesn't it but before John hits us with that gut punch he makes two preliminary statements that make the truth of the end so profoundly disturbing John starts by telling us that Jesus this light of the world who gives meaning purpose and understanding to all of reality he was in the world that he was He was in the world, speaks to the persistent and persuasive coming of Jesus, a coming that Jesus did not just casually 
or quickly skip through. Jesus, when he came, did not just flit through this world like Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, covering the globe so very quickly in speeds that are beyond our ability to comprehend, leaving no evidence of his having been there except a few gifts under the tree. That's not the way Jesus came. Jesus came and was in the world. He walked the streets. He knew the reality. He experienced the challenges of this life. He lived and was known and was acknowledged. Second, he was no stranger to this world because it was the world he made. It shines with his wisdom. It reveals his greatness. It speaks to his glory. John has already made this point in his gospel in the prologue, but now he makes it again with the world's rejection of the light in mind. That Jesus cannot be missed for it is his creation that speaks of his glory must be understood to appreciate the profound wickedness of the world's rejecting of their very creator. It is not that the world doesn't know this God. It is not that the world doesn't know this light. Oh no, this world is confronted daily with every moment, every beautiful sign, every glorious flower, every precious child, every flake of snow, the world is confronted with the truth of who Jesus Christ and who our God is. And yet the people who are confronted with this Creator, who exist by Him and exist for Him, they rebel against Him and seek to destroy Him. In a persuasive way into a people he created, the light came on Christmas morning. And yet they refused to acknowledge him. Not just did not recognize him, not just did not realize that he was the one, did not understand what was being revealed. Oh no, they saw him. They knew him. They heard what he was saying and its implications. And they rejected him, refused to acknowledge his claim upon them, refused to accept the place, their place before him, refused to bow in adoration and praise before the one who held their very lives in his hand. Remember only what Herod did when confronted with the birth of this light, he killed as many sons as he could. Such a response ought to be to us forever proud, profoundly disturbing. It is infinitely worse than a dog biting the hand that feeds it. It's even worse than a child rejecting their father for no other reason than they want no longer to be subject to him. It's even worse than that. It's a wife saying to her loving husband, I want to do whatever I want without constraint from you. It's every drug addict, every abusive husband, every thief, every murderer, every tyrant who abuses his position to impose his will upon those who belong to God. It is the rejection of our culture in everything that is right and good. It is every gay pride parade. It is every transgender promoter. It is everything that rejects what is wise, good, and reasonable. It is the denial of our existence 
for it rejects the very one who holds us in the palm of our hand. It is for the ant in the hands of the child to shake its fist and say, I defy you, for you don't exist. It is utterly foolish and pointless and ensures only the destruction of those who so rebel against God. That's what John wants us to see. He wants us to stand amazed that a world such as ours would shake its fist at this Creator and say, no, no, we will not live for you. And that's not even the worst of it. It's one thing for this world to reject its Savior. But thankfully there is a people surely that will receive Him. A people that God has been preparing for this very day for centuries. Telling them about the coming light. Delivering them in typological fashion from oppression. Giving them a home to live in as an anticipation of the greater home He was preparing for them. Guiding them and guarding them by His Word. A Word that when they followed brought blessing into their lives. This people would be shaped and formed by the promises of this grace. And surely on Christmas morning they would rush to that manger to worship at the feet of their Savior. What then of this people? Verse 11 tells us, He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. Just like the world around them, the church rejected the Savior who had been promised. Their sin, their failure is infinitely worse for they, come, they reject not just the One who is revealed to them in all of creation, but the One whom the prophets spoke of, the One whom the Word of God prepared for, the One whom they knew would be born in Bethlehem, but whom they rejected when He came, who had, prom- who had come to them to deliver them from their chains and from their oppression and from their darkness and from their death. Yet this people, despite all of that, preferred their chains, accepted their burden, rejected their deliverer, returned to their prison house, cried out to the fires of hell to consume them, for they would prefer that than living in the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ. The people of God refused to welcome this baby. Before we look to askance at these people and believe that John is only holding them up for our ridicule, just think of what this means. Stop for a moment and appreciate what John has said thus far, the true light that gives light to everyone who makes sense of the world, the one who alone can give us purpose and priority, who can alone deliver us out of the darkness. He has come into this world and not a single soul has believed on Him or embraced Him or accepted Him. Instead, they all rejected Him. From the world around, the, around the, the manger to the people of God that this child was sent to. Most on Christmas morning saw the truth of the great God of heaven and earth revealed in the very creation all around them. Indeed, the wise men followed the star, didn't they, to the very place of Jesus' birth. And yet when the world confronted with this revelation hears about the birth of this Son, they reject Him nonetheless. Meaning their utter destruction is guaranteed. 
Worse than that, the people who had been prepared for this very day, who had been shown the truth of their need and had been promised the great deliverer, tasting of his goodness towards them in so many ways, reject him too. Meaning that if the people who see the truth of God all around them and the people who have been given the truth of God in countless special ways, if they reject him, then what hope is there for anyone? The people who saw Jesus rejected him. The people who were taught about Jesus for centuries rejected him. What good is your parenting in the light of these words? Think on that for a moment. You parents, as you try to teach your children to live in love for the Lord, to embrace the light, in light of what John has just written in the verses 10 and 11, ask yourself, what's the point? What good is your parenting? They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Can you overcome what Jesus and the light of Jesus did not? Can you not see how dark and dismal are these words? Can you not see how depressing it is to read of this response to Jesus? Does not this word from our Lord give us at least two awesome truths? The first being there is no reason to believe that this world is anything but under the awesome wrath of the very Creator that they reject. Can we even begin to understand or imagine the intensity of the rage that the Creator of heaven and earth must have against this wicked and rebellious creation? Indeed, what would you do in the place of God rejected by these ants who deny your existence? But even more terrifying, surely the church's rejection of this Savior means that the doom of the church, of the people of God, is shuddering to comprehend. That surely is the only conclusion you can come to at the end of verse 11. The true light which gives light to everyone came into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Therefore the Lord destroyed all of his creation with his wrath. Surely that's the next thing we're going to read. Except it's not. It's the word but. The word but that holds the gospel in it every time, doesn't it? The expectation is one thing, but, says John, another thing has happened. What you think would happen didn't, but, says John, but to all who did receive him. Wait a minute, wait, what? The world rejected him, the church rejected him. Who are these people who did receive him? How is there anyone who received Jesus on Christmas morning? All who did receive him, who believed in his name, believed in his name. Those who did not know him, those who did not embrace him, are extant. They are all of humanity, surely. Who are these people that believe in him? He gave the right to become children of God. Not destroyed, not made nothing, not incinerated by the wrath of God, but elevated to the very place of God's family, welcomed with open arms by the Father, embraced in love, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is the stunning truth. 
How is this even possible? Why does the world still exist after its cruel rejection of the Messiah, after the church's rejection of the Lord? How are there any people on this earth even to receive Jesus? And if no one knows him or receives him, how can we speak of anyone believing on him? Indeed, you have to understand that here is the glorious good news of the gospel, the powerful promise of Christmas morning in a world that utterly refuses and rejects the true light of God, there yet remains those who do believe. Surprisingly, wonderfully, unexpectedly, and utterly, miraculously. For they have received Him. To believe in His name means to accept that He's the Messiah, He's the glorious one. It is to live in the light of His Word. It is to see that Life has its purpose in Jesus. It is to surrender all in praise to Him. It means to do that very thing that nature or that by nature no one is able or willing to do. It is to see ourselves as sinners whose only hope is this baby born on Christmas morning. And that, that faith in Jesus Christ gives us the status by the authority of the Son of God, the status of children of God, taken out of the cruel home of sin, into the, out of the abusive tyranny and slavery of wickedness, into the place of love and support and encouragement and blessing and life and eternity. It is He who gives that right because He alone can give it. He was alone begotten of the Father, and who alone purchases for himself a people by his death upon the cross. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. And this is what he by his Spirit does. That's what verse 13 refers to, isn't it? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is no consequence of human intervention that anyone believes. It is no consequence of any catechism teacher, cadet, or kingdom seeker, counselor, no preacher, no parent. It is wholly the work of God in His grace by His Spirit who by His Spirit works rebirth into the hearts of men so that they no longer reject but believe, that they no longer resist but embrace, that they no longer hate but love the words of John 3 here are anticipated. The interaction with Nicodemus is here anticipated. John is telling us those who believe are those who are born again. Who have been so delivered out of the darkness of sin that they are new creatures. They are new creatures. Here is the great gospel of Christmas morning. That the true light that comes giving meaning and understanding, clarity and identity and purpose, which we by nature cannot see, for the darkness that dwells within us is dark indeed, are given new eyes, new ears, new minds, new spirits, new hearts to love. There are people in this world that see the light, that live in the light, that love the light by the powerful regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth rejoicing in. That is worth praising God for. 
Here is what Christmas means. Here is the life-altering, world-shaking. This is the profound change that Christmas brings. Our very place here today, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we who are here because we are not chasing after the empty promises of the world, but we are living in the light. We want to hear about the light. We want to know about Jesus. How is it that we have come to this place? How is it that whether we're the youngest or the oldest, how is it that any of us are here receiving Jesus Christ as Lord? Stand amazed, people of God, because God has done a work in you that is co-equal to the work of creation. He has worked in you a new life through the power of His Son so that you might live in the light of that grace. That ought to be for all of us such a wonder, such a blessing. The, the light of Christmas shines so very keenly then into our hearts and lives to this very day. Its beams reach 2,000 years later so that our darkness is scattered too. This is not just an event that took place so long ago. This is not just a moment that has significance so long ago. This is not just about Joseph and Mary. This is not just about Herod and the wise men. This is about life itself. This is about you and me. The Christmas we celebrate continues to have its impact, continues to be experienced in our lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice, rejoice that Jesus Christ came for therefore you believe only by virtue of this gift do we know this Savior. Even as those of us who may be here today who do not yet believe We ought to see that we cannot escape this light. We ought to tremble. For this light comes and He comes in mercy and in grace. He comes in love and in tenderness. But He comes demanding faith. And if we reject this life, then how deep is our doom? How dark is our sin? How definitive is our destruction? Let us not reject this light. Let us not forget the glory of this King. Let us give our hearts over today again to living in the joy of this Lord. Our world passes by the manger. Our world does not celebrate Christmas the way we do because they don't see the point, they don't see the meaning. They don't see the reason to go to church. Go to church? Why go to church? Let's go to the Christmas tree where the presents are. Let's go to the table where the food is. Let's let's go to these temporary, temporal blessings. But we come because we have eternal gifts. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We come because this is where the Lord brings us to praise Him for the true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. And to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Do not despair. Do not be discouraged in the midst of a fallen and depraved generation that denies Jesus Christ. And don't listen to their lies. When you see the light of Christ, rejoice, for you are a child of the living God. Let's thank Him for that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, What a gift, what a grace 
beyond all expectation and anticipation, Lord, we would not deal with us the way that You do. We are far crueler to those who reject us, to those who despise us, who shake their fist at us. We wouldn't pour out our Spirit upon them or send our Son to die for them. And yet You have done both. That we might believe and rejoice that today might be more than just the story of a baby born long ago, but that today might be the story of our being born again. Lord, we pray that You would help us to rejoice in this and help us to stand fast in a fallen and pagan world and help us not, Lord, to give in to the darkness, but rejoice to see the light. Though the world cannot see Him, they reject Him, plucking out their eyes so that they live in darkness. May we live in the light. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.